0: Many of my curious colleagues who have been following over the past few years know that I've been trying to kind of ratchet up my health and wellness habits to feel better and stronger after successful chemo. And one of those habits I'm working on is drinking more water. And this is where Liquid IV comes in. Liquid IV is the category-winning hydration brand fueling your well-being, and it's their hydration multiplier That's the one product you're missing in your daily routine. What's nice about it, it's just this one stick, and in it you get five essential vitamins, B3, B5, B6, B12, and vitamin C. And get this, it's two times faster hydration than water alone. So you could use it first thing in the morning, maybe before a workout, or when you're feeling run down. One of the things I love most about it Is its efficiency. If anyone has seen me, I'm typically surrounded by one to two glasses of water or a big old jug of water that I sometimes forget to bring to work. And what's nice is liquid IV is efficient. And the flavor that's working for me right now is their wild berry. But there's a couple new ones that are out as well that you gotta try. Two times faster and, like I said, more efficiently than water alone. And it's three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks. It's made with premium ingredients. It's non-GMO and free from gluten, dairy, and soy. So this is what you're going to do. You're going to go ahead, treat yourself to 20% off and use code MyCuriousColleague at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code MyCuriousColleague. And don't forget to use the special link in my show notes. Hello, my curious colleagues. This week, my guest is my colleague, Kathy Giede-Sherm. So delighted to have you, Kathy. Thanks for coming on the podcast and welcome. Yes, thank you so much. Hey, I kind of know you through (laughs) SOCAP. So I know a little bit about you, but why don't you tell the rest of the audience a little bit about yourself and your career and what you're up to?
1: Yeah, so... Currently, right now, I am the consumer care manager for Campbell's. I've been with Campbell's since about oh, goodness, probably two years now, a little over two years. But I've been in the consumer packaged goods space since oh, goodness, dating myself, November of 2002. I joined Del Monte Foods here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, when they acquired, um, they were selling, they acquired some pet food products from Heinz. And so I was there for about 13 years, I think. Um, I did leave in 2015. So there I was the manager. So I did database stuff. I managed the claims. I did a lot of rep stuff too, because I like to get my hands into it. And then I left after an acquisition and went to Wilkie Global. And so while I was at Wilkie Global, I was a consultant there, um, worked with other consumer packaged goods companies on projects, implementing things like texting, system migrations, validations, and then I left there and I had a little interim with a co-contract manufacturer that lived about six months, and then I was back in with Campbell's. So, um, so many years doing this. It is a weird, a weird love that I have. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Don't call it that because I think I've the same love for not only consumer affairs, but also for CPG, which it sounds like most of your, you know, focus was over yes. the years. So it's all it's all good stuff. So operational leadership. I know that in our pre-chat we were talking about how your operational leadership uh, is really focused on the employee, so the agent. And this idea of them owning, you know, their work process and procedures and their behaviors. So let's let's dig into that a little bit. How did you develop that and, and tell us a little bit more of what, what that means?
1: I think, you know, I think my I think in this industry we lose sight sometimes of how hard it is for our agents to do what we ask, you know, as a systems manager, I can make the system easily bounce around and do what I want. We put these SOPs in place and we track so specifically, but when you think about what an agent has to do, it is very challenging. And I think, you know, back in Del Monte, I really tried to balance system with employees. You know, what should the system do and what should we put on the agent? Right. There's there's that balance. And so when I came to Campbell's. One of the things that I I noticed was really there wasn't this. Feedback to the agents, you know, it was, well, you didn't do this one right or you didn't do this right or you didn't do this. It was these little one off things. And really, it was trying to get to a point where. How do we get them to really feel that they're part of Campbell's, that they're part of the team. They're not just a dictation machine necessarily. You know, you don't do just what we say to do, but you understand the why. Because I think that there's better ownership of their work when they understand the why. So that's kind of like the high level of trying to get them to feel a part of it, um, rather than just do what I say to do.
0: Let me just react to that. Two thoughts on that. One, love it. (laughs) No, actually three reactions. That was the first one. The second one is that's challenging to do um, in terms of making the employee feel the agent that they have ownership, especially if you're in a, you know, a third party vendor and all Mm -hmm. the co-employment issues and things like that. So that is a real nuance Kudos to you for for going there. And what's the third thing? The third thing was it sounds like you were actually thinking about you know that critical piece of the employee before the ex, employee engagement or employee experience became kind of sexy in the past couple of years. It sounds like you're a little ahead of the curve. If I'm not, I I had
1: some good leadership with my mother. She uh she is my mantra with that really in how she managed her employees in a healthcare setting and allowing them to do their own shared governance. So I think Mm -hmm. that, you know, I have high standards. That's, it's not that I have lower standards. Sometimes I think I'm a little too critical, but I also have an appreciation and I would pick up the phone and I would do what the agents did. And if it was a busy day, I'd take 40 calls, you know, and you get up and get a drink of water. So you know, I think that that's important. And really, in consumer care, part of what we do, and I'm in, I'm enjoying some of the AI stuff, I'm enjoying bots, but part of what makes us unique, our agents are probably the people who know the most about every product we make in the company, and they don't even work in this instance, don't even work for us. So respect that, and make them part of it. And then if you get five people out of seven to do it, they're going to pull those other two along or those two are going to get out, which is perfectly fine. Mm. It's not for you. It's not for you. So I don't know. I just, if you don't explain to them the why you can put every required field into place, you're not guaranteeing they're doing the work.
0: Well, let's, let me pull on that thread a little bit. The, uh, the required fields, you also mm-hmm. were saying previously that balance between, you know, setting the system to do certain things versus what you want to ask the agent to be responsible, be, be responsible for. So let's talk about required fields. Can you give me yes. some example of how this, this style, uh, this approach yeah. might go down? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think everybody's first instantaneous reaction, and some of this is from my own system, but a lot of it came from when I was at, as a consultant. You know, everybody has a different way of using the exact same system, which is amazing. And it's great. Like, that's what makes it good. But there'd be certain systems you walk into and you're like, there's so many required fields. Like, I just want to do one test ticket. And you're like, how does your, how do your agents not, I don't know, smother you in your sleep? Like, this is so challenging. To me, I can't imagine how somebody does it every day. And so there's that balance, right? Because as a quality person and having done analytics for so long, it is imperative that on complaints in a CPG world, you get a best by date or a manufacturing code, that you get the UPC, that you get the right piece of information and you you bucket it correctly. However, you have to balance why are you doing it? So if, you know, one of the things I would hear a lot is, you know, I need the manufacturing code to be required. Why? Well, I want to make sure my agents are asking it. OK, but then you're having challenges with, say, 20 percent to 30 percent of the time, they're not going to have it. What are they filling in there? So now you have to have a process of what they fill in in a required field when they don't have it. What about inquiries? You can't make it required then. What about emails? So now you're doing this because you don't want your agents, but you're not guaranteeing that they're asking the question. You're guaranteeing that they fill in a box. Unless you listen anything. to the call, you don't know if what they're filling in is absolutely the same. I'm not saying they will, but somebody I know always calls it agent shenanigans. There's going to be shenanigans. So I, there's certain things. Absolutely. I require it if it is in the call flow and it works. But doing it just because, well, I know that this is really important, but the consumer's not going to have it a guaranteed percentage of the time, And never felt. It felt like you need to go listen to your calls and you need to train your agents and find metrics to measure rather than irritating the 20% of your agents that aren't doing it. 80% are doing it perfectly, but you're putting something in place for the 20% and you're irritating the 80 that we're doing it right the whole time.
0: I just, I don't like that. I need to process that for a second, because you know, prior to us talking, and I'm more of a worker bee. Um, I did lead a reporting team at one point in my career, but uh, very much a worker bee. And so, my going in position was like, "Oh, if you make it required, this at least gives them, you know, the agent a roadmap." And 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 when I think more on it, based on what you're saying, I'm picturing a system where I think the required fields were like shaded in red. Mm -hmm. And so I can just, now that you mentioned it, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I wonder, you know, what agents felt when they looked at the sea of red, they must've like picked up every call and been like exhausted before they got started. So I'm totally like looking and thinking about that in a different light. Kathy, thank you for that. But at the same time, I'm a little nervous about this notion of letting go, um, because you think, oh, as the as the client, let's say you have a third party vendor, or even if you have an in house team, you know you're responsible for ensuring all that good data. So, mm-hmm. <clears throat> so it goes back to that why is what you're saying. So you're saying perhaps let go of a batch code requirement. Really dig in on the why. I'm kind of recapping here to as, as part of the training. So that they have that innately, like it's in their heart and soul. They know that in order to help our quality folks in our plant manufacturing, you need those codes and, you know, Mm -hmm. here's where to find them too. I'm with you on that. I could be open to that. Well, tell me about other ones, like things like what's your point of view on UPC or subject codes?
1: I mean, UPC, you have to... Right, exactly. No. So UPC um, or some way of identifying whether however you quantify it so if you're in a consumer packaged goods world you have a UPC on the product or you have some type of code that you've created right because not every consumer has a UPC or who keeps it you know what I mean like think about if you're buying I don't know what are some things that come in outside packaging right like how many times have you taken crackers or choc- or chips and you dump it into a Ziploc bag and your spouse throws it away? You're not going to have it. It just, it's life. It doesn't happen. I always think the store field was funny. What store did you buy it in? My husband does all my shopping. Food just shows up. <laughs> so like, I would ask consumers like, what store? And they'd pause. I'm like, it's okay if you don't know. <laughs> so even store field, like, there are things that I think have to be required, like do you have, if somebody calls in because they found something or alleged that they found something, you want to know where that material is. I absolutely get making that a required field. If you have that in your system, say it's an illness or something like that, an adverse event, and you have critical points. Absolutely. If you can tailor that criticalness to the reason they're calling makes complete sense and also the more required fields you have that they may not have answers to you're going to increase that talk time and you're increasing that handle time as well so I mean it all kind of layers in so there are certain times I think those evidence fields adverse alleged fields that are really critical I completely get but if you know that a consumer is not going to have it I just Then you have to come up with a code and do you make it a drop down? Is it a free form? There's a lot more that goes into it. Yeah,
0: I can see you're really wearing a lot of different hats. And you need to
1: have, so dealing with the training aspect of this, right? Yeah. In your new hire, you don't just set them free. You need to have methodologies. We do a lot of nesting with our new agents. We have a learning development plan. For agents, that's like a 90-day plan, and that includes some measurements. So maybe that would be a measurement to say, okay, if our department average is 80% on phone calls, have a manufacturing code, you can very easily measure that in reporting to see how many times on complaints they don't get that. If they're under the 80%, then you continue to work with them. Because there's an understanding, and, and it was pretty standard for the years that I measured it. You just can't get above a certain amount. And you're listening to more calls so you can drill it in earlier when you get a hold of them really young.
0: Okay. So that's let's lean on in on feedback. Yep. Tell me a little bit, how else can folks or how else can employees kind of govern themselves as it relates to feedback? What's your what you're thinking there?
1: So, I think what we have found, so again, the concept of prior, in the very beginning when I started with Campbell's, the feedback was very one off. You see something, say something. So, as soon as somebody would find something wrong with a ticket, they would send it over to the agent. You need to not do this every time. It was like being pecked to death or, you know, death by a thousand paper cuts. And there was no consistency or methodology. So what we've worked very hard to institute is to have a more formal development process. Okay. And the agents, whether it's good or bad, have really responded to it because rather than getting nothing, but they're getting it in an organized format. It's the same format on a regular you know, rotation. That really allowed them to kind of say, okay, I've been given X. You know what, today, Susie, we want you, it really looks like you're having trouble with the manufacturing code. So why don't the next week you really work on manufacturing code and let's come together in a week, two weeks, and let's see how you're doing. Allowing them to not worry about fixing everything at once. You kind of slowly roll it out. And then as you get moving from kind of your beginning plans into your professional plans, you have more stability. And then maybe you can layer in other things, like have the agents send over calls they really like. So that way they can say, hey, this is a good call. And then you can calibrate on that versus us saying, let's just blindly pick one. Is what you think a good call a good call in our eyes? Are we looking at the same thing? So there's a lot of bells and whistles you can pull on to make them part of it.
0: So they feel part of the success of the program and their Mm -hmm. personal success and and kind of growth. Yep. Okay. Got it. What do you want to go to next? I know you have a really great example when you were over at a prior company. We could talk about that or how to build a training team.
1: I think we started, first of all, so I think dealing with the call flow and kind of making sure you have something really buttoned up led us. So when I look back at the work and, you know, our our partner is just amazing. Um, they've really partnered well with myself to put energy into revamping our entire training and putting together an entire new team. You know, it's not like we just squeezed it in amongst all the other work. We really redefined our team and we have a whole learning and development team that helps us with this. But when we look at the calls and I listen to them, they were kind of helter skelter, right? You know, the person calls in and it just seemed like there wasn't a path. Like, the the questions were all over. Like, sometimes somebody would ask for a UPC, and then other times it would be the end of the call, or they wouldn't get this piece of information. You know, talk times were longer, handle times were longer. And I'm like, well, show me the documentation on what you have. And it really was very wordy. <laughs> it was very... Very wordy. Not not effective
0: is what it sounds like. It didn't didn't
1: seem to be. Now, again, we didn't have a training and development team, so I don't know how often that was reviewed with the agents. I really liked how we worked on it at a prior job where there were kind of these six steps, and we really leaned into the concept of you take control of that call. If the agent takes control of the call and you follow these steps – You are guiding the consumer through the call. You're going to have more control. You're going to get into a routine. I always ask for this. I always ask for that. I boom, boom, boom. You're not going from screen to screen because it's like, oh, the person said their first name was Bob. Okay, I got to go over here and type Bob. Oh, wait, while Bob was talking, he said he bought it at Kroger. Okay, I got to go back up. Take control and ask the questions how you want to ask them. And then you can build from there.
0: The you, I'm going to interrupt you. Is the you the agent? Yes. The
1: agent takes control of the call. It's kind of like do you let your
0: dog walk you or do you walk your dog? Right. The agent should walk
1: the consumer through the ticket.
0: So it's, wait, wait, I was with you and then I just got undone because aren't we saying that you're trying to optimize your call flow? So there Mm -hmm. must be a more, effective process. Yes. In other words, you're saying the agent is going to follow the six step process. Exactly. that Exactly. Not the consumer. Don't nope. let the consumer say, well, let me, I'm going to tell you right about the problem. And you no, that's when the agent takes control. And the first thing you want to do is what's your name or whatever it is. Whatever it step. is in your
1: flow. Yeah. And our thing okay. it's like, you know, so, you know, very high level, the consumer calls in, you say hello. That's not one of the well, that's just yeah. do your job. That's not a step. <laughs> Be nice. Say hello. Yeah, please. Listen without interrupting. Let the consumer call, talk. And we all know those consumers. We have the consumer who wants to say, I have a problem. Do I talk to you? That's listening without interrupting. And you also have the person, oh, I'm so glad I got a hold of you. You know, I've been using your product for 10 years, and I've never had a problem, and I always buy it. We've all had those. It can be short. It can be long. Let them talk. Don't interrupt. Let them talk. You know, usually there's a nice little breaking point. And then step two is interact and acknowledge. You know, Susan, thanks so much for calling. I'm really, you you know, really glad you called us. You know, I'm sorry that happened. Oh, I can help you. That's all that takes. You're acknowledging them. You're saying you're going to help them. And then you move into step three, which is let me get some information. So they might have already, and you can say that, I know you mentioned that you bought this at Key Foods, but I just wanted to double check that. It's that active listening, right? So you're you're still letting them talk, and if they did mention something, you can repeat it, but you're confirming, okay, Susan, you called about this product. Do you have that handy? Do you happen to have the UPC code from there? Great, ba bah ba." So when you talked, you said this, or can you tell me what happened with it that upset you? Uh, Agents, sometimes when they hear that initial introduction, they're like, oh, I know what it is. Oh, I'm so sorry about that. Let me send you a coupon. And they've lost control of the call. If you say that in the first 30 seconds, the rest is gone. You're reeling them back in. What step are we on? We're on step three. Get the facts. So, I mean, that's a lot of the stuff that we as consumer care need for our internal partners. Our internal customers, our quality team, our legal team, our regulatory team, logistics, you name it. That's all the stuff we need. Step four is now that we have all the information, now we can give our answer. Oh, well, let me see if I can locate that for you. Oh, that's not the quality we want you to receive. I'm so sorry. Can I get your name and address and see what I can do for you? Now you're controlling it, you're bringing it back, you're telling them what you're gonna do, you get their name and address. Maybe you don't need it, they're calling for shelf life, please don't use the product, it's two years old, thanks so much, end of call. We do have step five, dealing with objections, right? People are not gonna be happy with you. You go back, you listen without interrupting, you acknowledge them, are there any facts you need to gather you deal with the objection. You know what I mean? You you just kind of keep repeating that yeah. based upon it, what part true. they don't like about it. Yeah. And then six well, is wrap six? up the call. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. Got it.
1: I mean, it's not part of the reason I, I, I probably didn't believe in this so much. I had an agent at one point and the handle time was just out of whack for, for the knowledge I knew they had. Right. And I listened and I did screen sharing. This is God back in the early two thousands. And um and I'm watching him. Well, he's going over to the cute the the tab for the coupons and then he's going to letter and he's typing things. And then he's back to the tab where he's putting in the UPC. And I'm like, What are you doing? And you're spending so much time trying to keep up that when I said to him, Can we do this? And I said, Let's let's try to follow it, you know, you control them if you ask for this, this and this the same way every time, you're gonna feel more comfortable. And that shaved time off of his handle time. So like once I realized that it it worked, I was a little bit more evangelical about it. I don't know if that's the right word. So
0: you've adopted this.
1: And we built it into our quality metrics. So in our QA scorecard, through our partner, we use um, Medallia and they have scorecards so we can pull in the call. You can annotate it. And those are our breakouts to say, okay, did you hit those to help us reinforce
0: it? So it has a lot of, of legs there, it sounds like. Well, that's a juicy six steps. Thank you for that. And And one last thing I'm going to probe on is you know how do you close the loop with the agent and make them feel they're a part of things and you had some ideas there to to help ultimately lead to rep retention which we know is is yeah. critical yeah
1: i think you know what we really try to do we have it on more of a macro level a larger level that we would do and then on an individual agent level you know so you can do it in multiple ways so one when we find that if something has been fixed or something has been caught because of what our agents have reported, we give that back to them. So quality is putting this into place at the factory because of X, Y, and Z. Or complaints are up. Oh, did you happen to notice that issue? Good news. You're right. It's going to last for a couple more months. So that way they know, hey, we're aware of it. We've looked into it. And give them a heads up. So I think so one, a voice of the consumer is what we call it report where monthly we want to give the agents a high level. How is the business doing from a complaint perspective? Like are complaints up? Are they down? Just kind of a high level. So they know we use the information. Sure. Do it on an individual if there's a small, small thing that maybe it's not going to hit the monthly report but it's still something that quality has said oh thanks for this oh yeah we just noticed it or even if we can give them a heads up so example supply chain issues what happens if you change packaging or you know there's a different colored cap on a product or you switch out an ingredient giving them a heads up
0: giving Having heads up. things
1: the giving agent? the reps an agent yes hey fyi we made a change please handle as normal But keep an eye out. If you get a bunch of them, let us know. I mean, we're going to find it. But if they see something unusual, we've had agents do that. Like, hey, this is my sixth call. Like, is something going on?
0: Right. (laughs) I want them to have
1: that, that they can talk amongst themselves and let us know when something's not working. So kind of macro is that voice of the consumer, whatever terminology you use in your monthly reporting, top line report, whatever. But we also are really implementing even down to a knowledge a guide level, knowledge-based level. Having the agents submit things to us where they see data is wrong or something isn't working, and then we close the loop. Whether it's, yes, we're going to fix it or no, we're not, but here's why. Going back to the agent directly so that way they can feel heard. And they make a lot of good recommendations. They're doing things every day that we don't see.
0: So I am going to jump in. You're talking about if they identify something in knowledge base, that's Mm -hmm. not working or wrong. Okay. I just want to make sure.
1: Yeah. I mean, at every level, whether they have a unique call that they're, we give them the ability to escalate to leadership. Like, Hey, something's not right with this ticket. Can you take a look to, Oh, this information doesn't seem right. I've had agents say, Hey, this product's discontinued, but you know, it's not showing that way. Can you look into it? Absolutely. You know I mean? And, By making them know we're listening, they feel like it's a group effort. It's an us. It's not a we versus them. Yeah. It's hard. It's not easy.
0: Right. Right. And again, like I said, there's always, well, with co-employment, you do want to make sure. Now, in this case, what I'm hearing is transparency with the agent you know closing the loop with the agent and it's sort of like a 360 like you share with the the your partner the changes that are being made as a result of the data that they've captured mm-hmm. let's say and they also are then feeling open to sharing back with you. Yeah. You know, when they start to see a little emerging trend or mm-hmm. see something that's like a hiccup in in knowledge base. So it's sort of like this give and take. So there's this transparency closing the loop. The only part that I'm back to being a little nervous about is you know, is when do you tell them to go ahead I guess it's the timing that go ahead and let the consumer know that, you know, this is being tweaked. We knew that there, this was a hiccup. I don't know.
1: Most of the is time it happening? really isn't that. Most of the time okay. it's really for your information only type of for, idea. Like, Hey, you're going to continue to answer these questions as is, okay. you know, but we want you to be part of this. We want Got you it. to have ownership if we're going to so there there are going to be times where maybe there is a quality issue that we would want to state. I don't right. know many of those that I've dealt with over the years, okay, where we would kind of go, yeah, that's our bad,
0: yeah. yeah, but
1: we would make sure that we have a very crafted response for them if we were to do that. This is more along the lines of. Keep it up. The work you do is important. And here is why. Mm. This is this is why. And part of this is going back to one of the things we want to implement. You know, we're still we went through a a system migration, so we're still digging out. But like I would love to do educational um, training sessions like with regulatory. What's a natural flavoring um, compared to a spice? Thermal processing, things that maybe I have in my repertoire from doing this for 20 years that you forget that not everybody knows. Sure.
0: Yeah. Now, this would be supplemental to maybe Mm -hmm. what you've got in knowledge base uh, regarding, you know, like a glossary for natural flavor. I think the other thing I like about that, Kathy, is that I refer to as brand management when they train the agents or even, you know, cross-functional teams, like you're talking about regulatory or QA. I think it's, it's another way of sharing, sharing Mm. that the agents are a part of things. And plus I think there's a little celebrity status when you've got like, this is the, the the folks that are making this product and Mm -hmm. pairing them together with the agent and having them chat and have a session where they could ask questions. It's just, it's just all good.
1: The best one that we ever had, we had a a full-time entomologist on staff at the one organization and he would come in and talk to our, he had a book, and he would come in and talk to our agents about like, you know, weather patterns and what he uses and our timestamps on our cans to understand migrations of things. It was just and the agents just loved it. And again, it's not anything they would tell the consumer, but why is that timestamp so important? Now they know why to ask that yeah, you know um it just Mm -hmm. makes you feel like cool like i don't know i still find it interesting all of the stuff that we do is as consumer packaged goods like oh my god it's so amazing that we're a part of this i'm so weird
0: (laughs) that means i'm in agreement hey i have an easy question for you to wrap here easier let's say and i ask all my guest if they have a volunteer or a nonprofit organization that they'd like to give a shout out to?
1: Yeah, I, for about 10 years, I was on the board here in Pittsburgh of the National Ovarian Cancer Coalition. So ovarian cancer has really, it is a disease that whispers. So they want you to listen. It's their color is teal. Take early action and live. Um, because again, most of the ovarian cancers are found stage three or later where the, fu- the survival rate um, in stage three is about under five years. So I, I highly recommend get involved. The more you talk about it, the more women you know are going to be impacted by it. You have time to do your nails you have time to go to the doctor and get checked out if something doesn't feel right. And this goes for men who have women they love. Yeah. You need to know Touché. these things too.
0: Touche to that. Thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate yeah. that, that one. And thank you for taking time out of your Monday evening to chat with me. Oh, not really a problem. Thank
1: it. you so much for having me. And again, I got some quiet in the downstairs of my house so thank you for that too
0: <laughs> if you've learned even a kernel of an idea or was inspired by this episode please consider rating and reviewing the podcast on Apple podcast be sure to share out the hashtag cpgcx because cpgcX really and truly rocks you have been listening to the my curious colleague podcast with Denise thank you for your time Many of my curious colleagues who have been following over the past few years know that I've been trying to kind of ratchet up my health and wellness habits to feel better and stronger after successful chemo. And one of those habits I'm working on is drinking more water. And this is where Liquid IV comes in. Liquid IV is the category-winning hydration brand fueling your well-being, and it's their hydration multiplier That's the one product you're missing in your daily routine. What's nice about it, it's just this one stick, and in it you get five essential vitamins, B3, B5, B6, B12, and vitamin C. And get this, it's two times faster hydration than water alone. So you could use it first thing in the morning, maybe before a workout, or when you're feeling run down. One of the things I love most about it is its efficiency. If anyone has seen me, I'm typically surrounded by one to two glasses of water or a big old jug of water that I sometimes forget to bring to work. And what's nice is liquid IV is efficient. And the flavor that's working for me right now is their wild berry. But there's a couple new ones that are out as well that you got to try. Two times faster. And like I said, more efficiently than water alone. And it's three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks. It's made with premium ingredients. It's non-GMO and free from gluten, dairy, and soy. So this is what you're going to do. You're going to go ahead, treat yourself to 20% off and use code MyCuriousColleague at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration Today Using promo code my curious colleague and don't forget to use, forget the, special to use the special link in my show notes.